Yeah, Casper, you said you said you like gotcha questions. I know you know you know Joe Suggs, so when are you going on strictly? <laughs> I wish. I wish I could dance. Yeah. Um, but no, unfortunately. I like to do things where I have like even one percent chance of succeeding. Okay. And, uh, so my dancing. I mean, I can. I'll show you. <laughs> yeah. That's, you do you know what I think? That's that's a, I think that's a one point five percent chance of succeeding. So <laughs> really, okay. Yeah. Well, there we go. I'm, so I'm after, exclusive. after this interview, <laughs> we'll expect strictly. I need. I need. I need to learn how to dance before I ever put myself into something like that. Fair enough. A more serious question now, just to be good, just for context for, for our uh, viewers and yeah. readers. Yeah, your, your, your background. Uh, yeah, so I'm originally from South Africa. Uh, that's where I grew up. When I was 16 years old, I launched a YouTube channel, which people thought was very bad for a very long time, in, including my own family and friends. Um, but somehow I persevered and eventually hit a thousand subscribers after two years of making videos every single day. And, and then they started to improve. And uh, eventually started collaborating with other people and built up an audience uh, to over 6 million subscribers and got to travel the world. And along the way, I, I found out what an opportunity there was within the creator economy. And I co-founded a business with a guy called Ben Jeffries called influencer.com. These are the offices we are in today in our London HQ. Uh, that business now has over 100 people working in five offices around the world. And we work with brands like Google Pixel to Amazon, uh, to tourism boards, to the main agency groups. Uh, then I also uh, co-founded a management company with Joe Sugg, who's on Strictly. Uh, so we actually managed Diane Buswell, uh, who's a Strictly a professional, and she'll be the first one to tell me not to go on the show. Uh, and that's, with, that's in partnership with IMG WME, so the big talent agency group. Uh, William Morris Endeavor and so on. Uh, and then I, I have a fund uh, called Creative Ventures, which is a small uh, fund. It's, not, it's a $20 million first fund. And um, we invest uh, in consumer internet companies. So creator economy is one thing we do. We also do marketplaces, consumer social, e-commerce enablement. And uh, we're very lucky because our vintage is hopefully in a good time because we, we raised the fund last year in 2021 or the end of 2021. And, and we, we've only just started investing now in a time where there's no longer the hype we saw previously. So hopefully it's a good time for us. No, thanks. We'll, we'll, we'll go into those. I just want to just take you back to, to like you said, you, you, know, you started your YouTube channel at kind of 16. So what, what, what point in the journey did people stop saying, Joe, get a proper job to, oh, sorry, to, <laughs> to Casper, uh, get a proper job to Casper? Actually, you know, you, you're quite good at this. You should carry on. We, yeah, we'll, some people actually did say, hey, Joe, sorry, to me. Get a sorry. No, 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 no. Um, I mean, to be honest, I think within the last three years it's it's seriously changed um we you know when we started you know 10 years ago eight years ago people would really not understand that this was a career but i think people trailblazers like mr beast ksi um even you know people like tommy in it uh these new names who have just exploded have have become household names uh, Zoella, I suppose, was one of the first in the UK. Uh, but even back then, people kind of thought, thought maybe it was just her who was doing this full time. But I think now people realize that there's thousands or hundreds of thousands of creators doing very well out of it. And now millions and millions of people making money from it. So 
yeah, it's, it's changed a lot. Uh, and it's funny, as soon as it's changed, I'm almost, I've almost stepped away from being a creator and now doing something else. You know, the last question on, on kind of uh, creating in, in YouTube, like what, what would you say are the secrets to, to success in, in that area? My friends are going to laugh at me because I always say the three C's. Uh, I like to break things down into that. Uh, and, uh, you know, the one thing is collaboration. And the second thing is consistency. And the, the third thing is creative. I do think uh, the, the most important one of those things is collaboration. And that's something not only within creating content on YouTube, but now within business and brand building, collaboration is just so, so important because uh, every brand or person or thing online has a net. And if you collaborate with someone else, you increase the size of that net and you can capture more of an audience share. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's the most important thing, but you also have to be hopefully making interesting things. So that's where the creative comes in. Uh, and then the consistency is all about just constantly putting things out there, especially with TikTok. Um, you've, you've got to just constantly throw, throw ideas into the world and, and don't worry so much about every single video doing well. People don't care that much anymore about like how every single video performs. It, it's more about just being consistent throwing things out there and every now and then something will pop and then it'll increase uh, the traction of whatever it is you're doing. Mm. Okay. And, and you know, this, this is a business audience. So yeah. if, if they were to say like, you know, many people say, well, YouTube's not for me. I can't really monetize it. What, yeah. what would you say to that? It depends on your product. I'll give you an example. I, I didn't mention it earlier, but I've, I've got a student accommodation business in Cape Town and student accommodation is usually it's something quite com commoditized. Uh, it's usually people like landlords will, will buy up some property and they'll, they'll rent them out and they know they can probably fill them up, especially in a student town like Cape Town. Um, but, but we saw an opportunity with social media to build a brand uh, so that we could, we could guarantee not only to the buildings we own, but also we could get other uh, landlords to come into the proper living uh, mold, which is our, our brand. And we could guarantee that we could not only fill the units up, we provided like a level and a standard uh, to, to their, their customers and they also trust that. So I guess what I'm trying to say with that is um, student accommodation is not something people would think of. Let's get your social media in order. But when you think about it, the amount of young people who discover brands on social media and discover and, and double check on what they're about to purchase on social media, it's not only discovering, but maybe they'll discover something on Google, but they want to double check. Is there a voice there? Because they look at brands the same way they now, you know, look at look at their friends the, the same way they they look up to influencers. It needs to have basically what I call like a really good shop window. And uh, if you walk, you know, down the street and and you see a, a really gross coffee shop, that's the same way I'd view seeing a really terrible Instagram page. It just needs to be good enough, and and it's not just about using it as your primary source, but it's also about it being there in the background to make sure that you're not shooting yourself in the foot by someone discovering you and then double checking, are you really that good? And then go, oh no, that's, you, you actually don't really care about us. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, definitely. And, and just want to move on, like, you've obviously pivoted your, your personal brand. You, you've gone for a creator and into essentially an entrepreneur business person. Obviously that background in YouTube uh, content creation, you know, would tick the box of being a good marketer and building a brand. What have you found of the challenges of being moving into being an entrepreneur? And what, yeah. what would you say have like, you found to be your weaknesses? Because yeah. so, running a business is a different thing, isn't it? There's so many differences, but there's also similarities. That's, uh, maybe I'll start with like the positives. The positives is, is I feel like I've, there's something about being an entrepreneur where you're forced to, to build a team. And when you're a creator, 
you can kind of still get away with doing it all on your own and you can still build a very decent uh, audience and, and actually business on your own. Uh, but then that, 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 then you, that really does lead to burnout. Whereas like as, as a entrepreneur to build a company like Influencer, it requires, you know, we, we have a hundred people here now and, and having those people means you can kind of take a step back and, and, you know, take weekends um, and together we, we're building something. And so you're not so reliant on yourself. So that's one of the positive things I think I've, I've been forced into uh, with becoming an entrepreneur. But I suppose something maybe that's more, more challenging, I think as a creator, not in the beginning, but when you, be, when you become uh, maybe a successful creator, things are kind of easy. Like people want to work with you. Um, it becomes a lot easier to, to, to actually create cash flow uh, when, you, when you're doing well. Uh, and whereas when you're starting a business, you realize how difficult it is to make money in this, in this world. You know, nothing's for free. You've got to go above and beyond. And even if you do a good job, you can sometimes still lose clients. And so, yeah, just the sure difficulty of creating that. But then it forces you to, as I said earlier, like uh, create a structure and bring in great people. And then once it starts working, the flywheel can really start spinning in a way it doesn't necessarily on YouTube. Maybe some of the more traditional business people might say, oh, you're young, you know, you're kind of YouTuber, you know, now you've gone into business. So, you know, what, what gives you the, the kind of right to have these leadership skills and, and how have you kind of learned and acquired them? Yeah, I, I suppose um, on YouTube, the reason I grew was because I was able to reach out to other YouTubers and collaborate with them. Um, and, and I feel like with business, like, you grow in the same way. And so reaching out to people and learning why do they want to work with you? What, what's, what's in it for them? And so, yeah, I, in terms of like leadership and, 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 and doing that, definitely wouldn't say I'm uh, one of the best leaders in the world. I think that's up to other people to, to hopefully say one day for me, especially uh, in years to come as, as I get more experience. I'd love to be a great leader. But, you know, what I'm currently trying to focus on is taking ego out of it, trying not to create narratives around people and, and think, cause you know, I think a lot of the time people are, are really quick to judge someone, especially when you're in a leader, leadership role, you maybe don't spend too much time with each person. And so of that time you might make a judgment of someone and then that becomes a narrative. And I, I think it's so important to consistently know how complicated every, everyone is and know there's so many sides to everyone. And if someone's had a bad day, that's not necessarily you know, that doesn't, that's not testament to, to what they're achieving. What's testament to what they're achieving is, is the results and the data behind it rather than just kind of an anecdotal feelings you have about people. So those are some of the, the, the things I, I like to think about for sure. Mm. And, you know, you mentioned you've got 100 staff now, that's 100 people to be responsible for. It's quite a difficult time at the moment for businesses. You know, are, are you feeling that, Casper? Are you, you know, are you a hopeful tra a traveler generally going yeah. forward? So it's definitely in the, in the ad tech space, a difficult time, but we're very lucky with the influencer marketing that it's, it's growing. Um, even, even in this, in the year where you're seeing, you know, see things, uh, kind of shrinking. So yeah, no, we, we're, we're, we're still, we're still very confident, but that's not by design. I can't say I've planned all of this. And that's why, again, another thing that's really difficult, but also similar with, with creators is, is that things can just happen outside of your control. And we're seeing that a lot at the moment. And I, I suppose we've kind of grown up as entrepreneurs through um, a time, uh, me and my business partner, Ben, where things have just completely happened outside of our control. 
Uh, and then that, and the reason I say that's kind of similar to being a creator is like, it's the same with like the, the platforms. They can just change something on the platform and all of a sudden you have to rejig everything. And so that's why I do find it quite frustrating when you see people who are successful in business talking about how great they are and how much they planned it. And then when things go wrong, kind of blaming outside factors. I think you need to be consistent and, and constantly say outside factors are a massive um, contribution to my success, but they also could be a massive contribution to failure. Uh, but of course, you've got, you can also control a lot of it, but th there's an element you can't. And, and I think about 60% of a success of a business is like down to the market um, and you know, what you're doing within that. But of course, you have the ability to decide which one you're going to into, but you can't tell the future either. That's, that's really interesting, Casper, what, what you're saying then about, you know, when you have the good times and the bad times and, and recognizing that, like, like you say, uh, you're, you're kind of responsible or, or outside factors are responsible for both. You know, you, it, when you talk about, I mean, you're young, you're 28, 27, 28, uh, 28 uh, you've had kind of two careers, essentially. What, what do you, you know, is there any other business areas or markets that you could see yourself going into? I think there are because... The way I do it isn't necessarily that I'm going to be the expert and the person, you know, running the operations of, of what we do. Um, and so I think my skills are, are transferable as long as I'm bringing in people or as long as I'm lucky enough to have people who want to bring me in, who understand their space really well and, 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 and are great operators. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, what I, what I hopefully bring to the table is quite transferable. Um, because it's kind of the understanding of social media. Um, and of course, through that as well, like the network I've built with, with, by doing everything. And I, and I think social media is so important for the majority of, of consumer businesses and actually becoming more and more important for a lot of B2B businesses. So as long as hopefully I can bring that edge to whatever I do, I've got partners, hopefully, who understand other aspects to what they do. Uh, and then I think that's how you can build a successful business. And I, what I want to talk about, you mentioned at the top of the interview, you've got $20 million fund, which you look into investing kind of startup yeah. uh, tech businesses. What are you looking for in the business you invest in? We invest at a kind of seed to series A level. Yeah. Um, so, but we, we do look quite a lot for traction um, versus some maybe kind of early stage VCs who are, who are investing maybe pre-seed or, or at seed. We are, as I said, a small fund, so we're deploying between $100,000 to $500,000 um, in, into a business, uh, which means we're never leading. Um, so we're always investing alongside other businesses. Of course, the, the team's really important, the traction's important, the market's important, uh, but also, um, you know, who are the other investors that, that also, you, we, we won't, we, we, uh, you know, that won't make our, you know, decision for us, but um, it's important to see that the, the lead investors are also really good at what they're doing. Uh, because I, I think even with the experience at Influencer, uh, you know, having a good board and having people involved from that level can be very helpful, especially going forward as they have to raise more capital and so on. Um, so, so those are sorts of some of the kind of very high level things we look at. Uh, but we, we also want to make sure that we can help them. So is it, is it a business that is going to benefit from people who understand kind of social media and understand marketing and understand how to work with creators and, and do they need that? So yeah, we, we invest, um, you know, in, in the businesses I explained uh, earlier, 
those sorts of businesses, but we, we also bring in, you know, our fund and, and our expertise, but we'll also bring in people like uh, actors, like we, we brought in, uh, you know, Maisie Williams into a deal. Or we, we, we brought in athletes like Patrice Ever into deals. And so we want to make sure we're surrounding ourselves with other great investors and other people who can be value add, like those, those creators I mentioned. So quite a unique offering, but something that entrepreneurs really love. And you mentioned sort of traction there. Uh, and obviously, I know it's Series A and, you, you know, you're co-investing, but are you looking for, a, you know, a yield and an exit by a certain time? Are you looking for, for when are you looking for payback? Yeah. I think uh, it would be good to see that tomorrow. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, realistically, probably five, eight years. It'd be nice to get one or two within three, four years. Uh, but yeah, we're investing in, in 50 businesses. So yeah, we'll see. It will be a, definitely a spread. Um, but that's the kind of, we do, it's very much high growth businesses. Uh, we, we would love to invest in some unicorns and that's what we always look at, you know, can this business become, you know, a, a billion dollar business within the next, you know, seven years at least. Uh, and, and so there are a lot of great businesses out there for the founders who, who could make a lot of money, but they're not necessarily like VC back, backable businesses. And so it's, it's important when founders, I think, go to VCs to understand that they're looking for some really big winners and, and they will, you know, they'll be quite pushy. Uh, and, and from my own experiences, speaking to other VCs as an entrepreneur, it's, it's a question of, do you want a VC who's going to push you to go to be a huge business? Or do you want an investor who is happy with like a $50 million business or a $100 million business, which as an entrepreneur is amazing because you could end up, you know, walking away with $20 million if you sell the business. And that's brilliant. Um, but with VC, it's kind of boom or bust a lot of the time. And so that's, I think, an important thing to, to mention. You mentioned that kind of boom, boom, bust. That, you know, there was a trend where, and there still is a trend of, you know, especially tech companies celebrating fundraising and sometimes maybe not yeah. celebrating product market fit yeah. and actually making money. Yeah. Do you think that is starting to change for, from your experience of now entering the, the investor world? I think it's, it's no longer as, as cool to, to raise a, a crazy valuation because I think people have realized what has happened to some of the biggest value, the most valued company. And, and sometimes you can push yourself way too quickly to have a high valuation and you're shooting yourself in the foot because you need to prove to investors that you're able to continuously uh, increase that valuation. And so why would the next investors want to come in if if you raise, uh, even if you raise at a billion dollar valuation last time, why would the next investors want to come in at a $1.1 billion valuation? Because you've only increased the previous investment by such a small amount. Rather like keep having consistent growth and start off with a lower valuation. Uh, and also don't put that pressure on yourself. So yeah, I think in the last few years, we've seen something that other VCs who are a lot older than us have only described as like, you know, 2001. Um, and we probably won't see again for another, you know, 20 years. So we might not ever, hopefully we, we won't see it in, in our life, in our kind of VC lifetime, but we might see it again at the end of our, end of our careers. But yeah, especially in the social media world, the LinkedIn world, people are so fixated on, on these, um, these numbers and these very kind of top level things. And yeah, you could raise capital at a huge valuation, but if you've like given up tons of equity or the deal's terrible and like, there might be different things within the deal that mean you, you don't ever get to see those returns as an entrepreneur unless you do something absolutely crazy. 
it's not actually worth it for you. But then I think a lot of people are drawn to that because they can announce it online. That is a really good point. And, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, you can end up trapping yourself, can't you? Because you give away too much equity and, yeah. and you create a kind of problem for yourself. So pretty much all the people watching this will, will have raised or be raising at some point. So kind of building on, on that, Casper, what would you say are some kind of tips for people looking to, to raise uh, investment? I guess the first one is, yeah, don't, don't worry so much on that kind of that headline figure. It's the devil's definitely in the details. Um, give yourself a lot of time when you're also raising capital. Don't try and just raise capital when you need to raise capital. Also, especially when it comes to like the latest stage of, of the round and negotiating and so on, be careful not to spend too much money on a single party, especially in like legal fees and other fees. And then you're kind of forced into doing it because and at the last minute things can change. Things like that are super important. I also think I would advise people away from giving different people discounts in the round because someone you think is going to be more valuable. So you're going to give them 50% off and you're going to give someone else something. I'm giving everyone deals because if people start finding out about that, it just, it doesn't really legitimize what you're doing. Rather keep everything consistent across the board and just bring in the best people you can bring into the deal. And don't try and say, oh, this investor is better. So I'm going to give them that. And this investor is that. That kind of stuff can be a real turnoff. You know, put a lot of effort into not only your deck, but like the questions that people could ask you. So like to spend as much time as possible preparing by, by, by going over every single question someone could ask you because you don't want to go into these meetings not knowing your stuff. And then that will create so many, so many nerves um, that you'll end up, uh, you know, maybe not coming across as, as good as you can come across. So those are a few kind of top level things, but yeah, there's millions of things you should do. No, thanks, Cass. We're just going to move away from that now, just more, more about yourself and, yeah. and things like that. And I mean, what, why do you do what, what you do? What, what, why? <laughs> just having fun, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just trying to enjoy life. I do like the fact that every day is a challenge. There's constantly things to overcome because I think like with challenges, it brings a sense of uh, happiness when you kind of accomplish things. You also learn like not to take things too seriously, I think, because you're constantly coming up against difficult things and things don't always go your way. So I like that kind of part of it. It's, it's cool. I get to travel quite a lot. I get to meet loads of new people, which is, which is really fun. Uh, and I feel like I'm always learning as, as someone who I never went to university. I wasn't that interested in school. I've, for some reason, I've become obsessed with like learning new things. And I feel like I'm doing so many, as I've mentioned a bunch of things to you, probably don't even remember all the things I said I'm doing. And for me, I love that because uh, it means if one thing's you know, going really well uh, or one thing's going really badly, I'm not going to get so obsessed with like the hype of going well or like the, 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 the downs of going badly. I'm constantly feeling like so, they've got eggs in so many baskets uh, that it's kind of keeping me consistent. So that's a few, few things. I also think it's, it's not something I thought about like, this is my plan. I'm going to be here. I'm going to do this because this is my dream. It's kind of something that's happened over time. And I've just made decisions and I've kind of fallen into this spot. Now, Kasper, obviously yeah. you're, you're South African yeah. slash English. You're yeah. born in London, uh, brought up South yeah. Africa. And you travel a lot. You've just been at Lisbon at the Web yeah, Summit. Yeah, yeah. You're off to Abu Dhabi soon. You know, what do you pick up from, from being in other cultures and, and, and how, how do you go about doing that? Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting how South Africans operate in business versus British people and and even like in the Middle East versus like the US and like the amount of small talk you need to do. Um, so I actually really advise people, if you're going to do um, business somewhere, 
try and meet with someone who's a local and ask them for advice on like, what is kind of normal here? How do people talk here? How much, especially small talk and, and humor, like how much humor should be you be using? Because I know in the UK, it's, it's so important to have a good sense of humor and people love to work with people that they, that they enjoy being around. But in the US, like some people don't understand sarcasm <laughs> and it's maybe not as important. And, and also like how excited you get about, about um, a meeting in the US is very different to how excited you get about a meeting in the UK. Like in America, people will say like, this is amazing, I'm so excited. Like you think they're, they're right to like, you know, change your life after a single meeting and then you realize that's just how they are with everyone. Uh, whereas uh, in the UK, someone could be quite uh, reserved and held back, but that actually might be a good sign. Um, so those are different things, I, I, I guess, to think about. Um, for sure. Yeah, you're building on what you said about the difference between the US and the UK meeting. Yeah. Obviously, in the US, it's kind of encouraged to fail, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe sometimes too much. Fast. In the UK, not. I mean, what's your kind of feelings around failing and, 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 yeah. and the positives of it? Look, it depends if you have a safety rope. Um, and, and so it's easy for me to say I try not to let failure um, you know, get in my head too much and try and move on quite quickly and, and don't take it home personally because obviously there's business and then there's like family life. Uh, but of course, if you put, if you put everything into something and it fails and you, you're going to go into serious financial difficulty, that's really difficult. So, so I suppose what I'm trying to say is the chances are everything you do in business could fail. Like no, most things don't succeed. So when you're trying to start something, try not to go all in on everything. And so give your room, give yourself room to fail because uh, that's really important. And then when you do fail, just like, don't try to take it too personally. And I really want to say like, it's important that people don't look down upon people who fail in business <laughs> and, uh, you know, encourage them not to like try and shy away from it because, uh, you know, some of the best business people in the world failed. You read all of these books, these biographies, and, and most of them have failed, uh, but everyone remembers its success. But it's really hard when people are in that moment not to, not to feel like everything's over. So yeah, and then, you know, my small piece of advice maybe is just take a cold shower when you're feeling really stressed. Uh, the adrenaline will help. Um, you know, I've had moments in my life where I've heard really bad news and I'm like, I like start like feeling panicky and so on and jumping in a cold shower can really help. Great advice. We've got our headline cast for taking <laughs> yeah. a cold shower. Take a cold shower. <laughs> it, it solves everything. Uh, yeah, thanks again, Casper, uh, for the answer. It's a question we ask all our uh, guests. We want to know what do you think makes a great business leader? What makes a, a great business leader? I think someone who is able to let go and, and, and hire really good people. And so if you are hiring good people, you need to give them the room to do their job and, and, and not um, micromanage. It is, you know, it's hard to do in the beginning because when you're starting something, it's really expensive to hire really good people. So I think in the very beginning, you do have to be super hands-on but I think along the way, you need to learn to give people the room to, to do their work because you can't scale something if you can't let go. Mm. And what, you know, you, you're very young, so you've got a big kind of career ahead of you. Would you like to go into kind of TV and things like maybe Dragon's Den? And things like that? Well, um, I, uh, I don't know. I, I do like the idea. I never wanted to like pursue TV. I never, I never thought it would be that kind of beneficial, even as a, as a, as a YouTuber, there, there, you know, there were opportunities to do kind of those reality shows that put your face on, on the map uh, and you become like a mainstream sort of person. And I think 
for me, I, I like the fact that a lot of most people would have no idea who I am, but the ones who know what I do are that they're, they're interested in it. Uh, and so, yeah, so I kind of want to keep doing stuff uh, on social media cre- or keep doing interviews like this, keep meeting new people who care about what I'm doing rather than doing anything for the sake of it. But uh, I, I don't want us to ever say no to anything because that soundbite will be used against me when I eventually do it. Okay. <laughs> and just like a, f- a final question for me, just want to get your, your view on kind of the relationship between sort of money and, and being happy. A lot yeah. of entrepreneurs say actually, you know, money is just the byproduct of doing things well. Do you, do you agree with that or, or are you quite money focused? You no, know, so money definitely will not, will not make you happy. I think, uh, I don't know what the stat is, but in the US there's something like if you, if you have over X amount of money, I think and it, it's, it's around maybe $70,000, maybe give or take. Anything additional to that doesn't bring any further happiness. And so, of course, money can help you a lot. If you have, if you have no money, money is going to be very helpful. But if you have enough money, which is what I mentioned, anything additional doesn't change the, the happiness level. So actually, a lot of the people with more money end up being less happy because they end up obsessing over that. Money is meant to kind of give you freedom and uh, sometimes money can do the opposite uh so yeah i i I, i'm very very fortunate very fortunate to be in a position where i have enough and as long as i have enough i think that's that's as much as money will help my happiness Thanks, Casper. We have a little segment which we ask all our, our kind of guests. So it's called Answer the Internet, where, where um, people kind of send in their, their questions. And someone said, what, what does it mean to build a personal brand? Ooh, a personal brand is, is whatever it is you want people to say about you when you're not in the room. If they're, actually, uh, if they're actually saying that, then that's true. That's probably really difficult to find out. So uh, maybe you've got to get a YouGov poll or something if you, if you want to figure that one out. Or uh, like bug it or something. Yeah, or bug the room. I can't encourage that, but I think, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's one way of doing it for sure. Yeah. And Casper, and so how can our, our viewers and readers, how can they keep in touch with you? Well, I suppose because we, you know, we're speaking to business leaders here. So uh, hopefully they're on LinkedIn. Uh, please just drop me an invite. Let's chat. Um, yeah, I love I think LinkedIn is a very exciting platform because as as young people who've grown up on social media get jobs, they're all jumping on LinkedIn. Um, so you can build a pretty meaningful network that's also super useful. Uh, like the other day when Elon announced that uh, you know he's laying off like a big proportion of Twitter employees, I was able to just go on LinkedIn and say, hey, I know this is happening. If anyone's really awesome from Twitter and they're looking for a role, here's a list of roles. And then we've got like tons of people uh, who applied who are really, really good. So yeah, it's, I think it's a really useful platform. Um, and yeah, please, please add me on LinkedIn.